Welcome to another episode of Electable. I'm Deb Chubb, and our podcast is sponsored by Indiana Women's Action Movement. Today, we are going to have a very great and lively conversation with uh, Sheila Seuss Kennedy, um, who does a terrific um, daily uh, blog uh, that is very widely read in Indiana. And and I'm going to let and you. I know that you are a retired law professor, and you've been around for a long time, and you've been doing a lot of work, and you worked at the ACLU or ICLU um, for years as well. So you are really, um, you know, very well versed in all of this discussion around our topic today, which is the preliminary injunction uh, that is enjoining enforcement of uh, Senate uh, Enrolled Act One, which is the near total abortion ban uh, that the supermajority Repo Republicans passed in 10 days time in a special session uh, here in Indiana and has uh, since subsequently been enjoined um, by a, a terrific judge uh, in Owen County, a Republican woman whose name I've forgotten. I bet you know, I hope. No. I don't. Okay. Uh, but I call her that very good judge. Yes, I will. I will, I will call her that very good judge. Here. I was very impressed with that order. And so and I do want to, um, you know, I do want to actually, you know, mention a few of the things that were in her order. So because this is complicated. And so um, so I want, you know, I want to help people understand what's happening, because, of course, we get questions now. It's like, well, wait a minute. I thought the, inj the injunction was denied. Now it's allowed. And what does the injunction mean? So, um, so I want to, you know, I want to try to explain um, the article too. But, um, but uh, Sheila, first, you know, give us a little background about you and tell us, you know, why you're so interested. Why is this so important to you? Well, first of all, I'm a female, <laughs> and I, it is important to me because we have had uh, fits and starts, obviously, but women have finally been. Uh, seen as equal human beings we we have joined the in uh the economy we uh have become politically active and all of all of the uh advances that women have made really have been uh the only reason we have been able to make those advances is because we have had the control of our own reproduction. The pill was probably the most important thing for women's liberation, if you will. And I say that, I mean, I, I have five kids, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not, and I have a husband, I mean, I'm, and my, and I have three boys. I'm not, I'm not the kind, I'm not a feminist who hates men <laughs> or, or a woman who says uh, we shouldn't have children, but the ability to control your own reproduction, the ability to choose whether and when to reproduce is absolutely essential to a woman's autonomy. Our, our ability to go into the workplace our when I first began practicing law, uh, the uh, it was so funny. I I had a, a discussion with the partner for whom I was working at this big law firm, and I I was the first woman, uh, which led to a lot of very funny stories. If we ever go out drinking together, I will share. But yeah. but the partner to whom for whom I was working primarily was just astonished. She said, "You know, ever since women." Um, have been able to, uh, you know, control their own reproduction. We the secretaries don't leave when they get pregnant, and you know, I mean, he was. 
it, it was dawning on him that this ability to uh, control ourselves was an ability to enter the world on a relatively equal basis, and in his case, the world of work. And I mean, I think there is ample evidence of the importance of that. So when you look at laws like uh, the one that Indiana passed, yeah, you can look at it as as a uh, an attack on women's health care, which it certainly is. But what it really is is an attack on women's equality. It is it is anti-woman. It is not pro child. It is certainly not pro uh, fetus because the minute that little kid emerges from the womb here in Indiana, they could care less. Don't feed it. Don't educate it. I mean, you know. So it it is the height of hypocrisy. Okay, you asked why I care. That's why. That, well, that's a good. Yeah, that's a good reason. And so you know, I just I want to say you know our state constitution says that all people are created equal, and they are all endowed with inalienable rights, which include life liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And there was some discussion in her injunction order uh, talking about how Indiana's uh, constitution is more protective of those rights than the US constitution. And I've heard that here and there over the years that, that it is in some senses, but I think that's important for people to understand that our constitution should be uh, you know, used separately from the federal constitution. When uh, and I, it has been I, interpreted separately. When I taught, it was amazing to me how many of my students didn't even know that there were state level constitutions. You know, former Chief Justice Randy Shepard used to insist that the state constitution, he talked he did a, an article once, a fresh air, I think something to that effect, uh, for Indiana's state constitution. He used to claim that in many ways it was more protective of our liberties than was uh you know the the federal constitution but i think there is a one of my hot button issues as you probably know is civic literacy and the lack thereof uh but i think it is important for people to understand that yeah we have a federal constitution and some of us think that that has not been appropriately uh interpreted lately but we also have a state level constitution and uh, a history of some very good decisions under that. Right. So I like to say, because it, you know, kind of gives me a little hope, you know? So, and, and I want to mention- Rare these days. Yeah, yeah, I know, it is rare these days. But, and so I'm just, I have a few things that I pulled out of um, this wonderful woman judge's, um, uh, you know, opinion, uh, ruling in favor of the injunction. Uh, which stays the uh, the the uh, SEA one, and um, and I thought it was really great. And so um, I guess I feel like it's unfortunate that people keep talking about the right to privacy because it's not there, and you don't need to say it. You can just say liberty, which is actually in the constitution. And so she did a good job, I thought, of making that point, even though she also talked about privacy. Um, but but she did a good job of just defining, you know, what does the Indiana state constitution mean when they say life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so she does, um, she says, although a liberty is an enormous concept, the court should nonetheless attempt to understand its constitutional significance by considering its plain meaning. Liberty is defined by Black's Law Dictionary 
as freedom from arbitrary or undue restraint, actually by government, right, privilege, or immunity enjoyed by prescription or by grant, the absence of legal duty imposed on a person. Uh, and then the Merriam-Webster Dictionary also provides multiple definitions, including impertinent part, the quality or state of being free, the power to do as one pleases, freedom from physical restraint, freedom from arbitrary or despotic control, the positive enjoyment of various social, political, or economic rights and privileges, and the power of choice. Um, and so, and she, and she cites another case, um, a Lawrence uh, case, and says bodily autonomy has been recognized in Indiana case law as a basic component of liberty. And so, I really like that that you know. You know, yeah. that she's really focusing on the actual words in the actual state constitution. So uh, so I think that's really important. And, I, and I'm, I'm a little distressed when people keep saying, oh, liberty equals a right to privacy. Yeah, I don't get this. One of the other things my students never seem to get was, at least when they came in, <laughs> I hope they got it when they got out, uh, is that... It, the right to privacy, I think, is an unfortunate term because constitutionally, what that means is the right to personal autonomy. If people think privacy, oh, nobody's going to peek into my, my bedroom window or go through my personal effects. That is not what the constitutional right to privacy is. The right to privacy in the national constitution is, uh, until they dealt it a death blow in Dobbs, uh, founded on the uh, notion of, again, liberty, and it's substantive due process, which simply means, hey, there are some things that government doesn't get to decide. There are some things that the individual gets to decide uh, in the exercise of his or her autonomy. We get to decide what our life goals are, what is important to us, how many kids we have, who we marry, all of those things are protected against government intervention. And that's what the national or federal right to privacy is all about. It's not about what most people, I, I just think it's an unfortunate term. Me too. Me too. I have always thought that, and, I, and it makes me mad that Roe is always, you know, mixed yeah. up with that. This doesn't make sense. Well, some so people are better at uh, propaganda than others. <laughs> right, right. So um, so I think, um, and I want to, here's another ec uh, excellent point that she makes. And it is about the fact that, um, this is the argument that was made in Dobbs, that the right, this right, and they're calling it right to privacy, I'm going to call it a right to liberty. Anyway, that right to liberty did not exist when the Constitution was um, enacted. And, um, and so, you know, Alito at the U.S. Supreme Court and yeah. Dobbs said, if if you didn't have it then, then it doesn't exist and you don't get to have it now. So I mean, we can't was... vote either. Oh, well, I guess we did cast, do a constitutional amendment for that. <laughs> yeah. So and that was really, you know, of course, you know, a crazy, crazy um, idea. And um, and um, the very awesome Republican woman judge whose name we're going to get eventually <laughs> um, uh, writes, uh, the court acknowledges that abortion was not lawful at the time of the Indiana, uh, when Indiana uh, Constitution was ratified. However, this does not foreclose the language of Article 1 from being interpreted at this point as protecting bodily autonomy, including qualified right by women not to carry pregnancies to term. The significant then existing deficits of those who wrote our Constitution 
particularly as they pertain to the liberty of women and people of color, are readily apparent. As Justice Bohm points out, points out in the Brizzy dissent, uh, quote, in 1851, we had slavery in many states and Article II, Section uh, of the 1851 Constitution denied the right to vote on the basis of race. Married women had no property rights until they were conferred by statute in 1923. Both of these subjects were debated at length in the 1851 constitutional discussion, uh, but were not included. But by today's lights are wholly incompatible with our fundamental principles of ordered liberty. So, uh, our, and she says, our, our analysis here cannot disregard this reality particularly when considering questions of bodily autonomy. So another um, terrific quote by this. Yes. Terrific, um, and so, um, so I don't know, how do you speak to that, Sheila? How do you speak to the, you know, the evolving nature of our constitutional right? You know, well, you know, it goes back to what I consider to be a very dishonest view of what originalism is. Uh, I consider myself actually an originalist, but very different uh, variety than, say, Justice Alito, who also uh, was the author, if you will recall, of the Hobby Lobby uh, decision. I mean, he's a real trip. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. yeah, a lot of problems. But, with that guy. Yeah. You know, if, the founders of this country, in the at least in the Bill of Rights, set out a list of uh, the values that they wanted to protect against government encroachment. I used to ask my students, okay, so, um, you know, what do you think James Madison thought about porn on the internet? And typically you, you smile and that's the correct answer. Uh, although I did have a student who said, who's James Madison, which when I went home, I drank a lot. Uh, but, but the point here is we apply the Bill of Rights and the value, and we try to protect the values that, that each of those provisions was attempting to protect in a world that the founders could never have anticipated. You know, there's a there's a really good Supreme Court case of maybe 10, 15 years ago where the court had to decide uh whether the ability using good technology of the police to stand across the street from your house and look in your basement to see if you were growing pot, whether that was a search. Well, at the time the constitution was drafted, a search required entry on the property and uh, a trespass, if you will. Uh, but the court said, of course, that's a search. You are, you are in, invading someone's, the sanctity of their their basement, but you know, using a technique that was not there. Absolutely, and, you, know. you know the world has changed. Does the First Amendment's free speech provisions uh, protect uh, not just the written word, but radio, television, mo uh, motion pictures? Well, of course it does, and none of those things were in place when the Bill of Rights was drafted. So that is just a if you will excuse, uh, uh, it's a bullshit argument. <laughs> yes, it is. It is completely. I mean, it's so lame. It yes. is just so lame. So yes, this originalism is really, you know, you're done. And I hear a lot of, um, uh, uh, you know, Republican state legislators, you know, spout off, ah, I'm a, you know, I'm a constitutionalist. Oh, yeah, like, right. 
you know, okay, you're going to have to explain yourself a little more because I don't think you think it means what you think it means. <laughs> so, so that's, so that's always um, very shocking to me. Um, you know, and, and of course, you know, one of them, one of they use that argument to say, well, you know, the Second Amendment says anybody can have a gun, you yeah. know, and all of that. I mean, which of course, again, you know. Yeah, we didn't have uh, AR-15s at the at the right. time the Constitution was drafted. Right. It's, yeah, yeah, it's just really and 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 the fact you know that they're okay uh, regulating certain constitutional rights. Um, you know, uh, like you know whatever whatever. I mean, I mean, speech is not. Well, I'm not going to go there because we'll get there later. I'm not going to talk about <laughs> regulated um, uh, constitutional rights because they are regulated. Okay, so um, let's see. Um, oh, and it actually, it, it, this is my next little topic. So, um, and so uh, this uh, awesome Republican woman judge also says the judicially enforceable liberty rights that are reasonably likely to exist under Article One are not unqualified. Um, uh, SB One, however, materially burdens Hoosier women and girls' rights to bodily autonomy by making that autonomy largely contingent upon first experiencing extreme sexual violence or significant loss of health or death. I did hear another woman, and of course I forget her name, I'm sorry too, um, who's a, I think a current law professor who commented on that. And her comment was great. It was like, so what the judge is saying here is that, um, is it still a constitutional right if you have to first, you know, become Stop sexually, her. you know, assaulted, yeah, mm -hmm. or get close to death or permanent bodily impairment, you know, do your constitutional rights only kick in after you get to that point. Um, and is that, you know, is that still a constitutional right if you have to wait that long? Well, first of all, that that's that's stupid. I mean, you know, but see, it gets back to the point I made earlier. This is not an effort to uh, protect babies. This is an effort to disadvantage women, to put us back in the kitchen in the bedroom, whatever. Uh, and it, it, so all of these little uh, quibbles <laughs> about, oh, well, you have to be raped first or, or you uh, and you really don't get to decide for yourself whether and when to reproduce and all of that. It, it's all part of, in, in my view, a reaction to the fact that suddenly some of these, especially elderly white guys, got up one morning, looked around and said, well, looky there, there are gay guys who are holding hands on the street and there are uppity women. There are even women uh, reporting on sports on my TV. And there are black people who think that they are entitled to vote. And, you know, and they, I mean, I, I know that's a very unkind characterization, but I don't think it's wrong. I mean, I think there are people who are very uncomfortable in a world where their their anticipated white male privilege no longer uh, is getting them where they want to go? Yeah, it's unfortunate. It feels like a lot of you know these the gentlemen that you're describing, um, you know, feel like there's you know a finite pie of yeah, rights. exactly. And that if someone else gets some, that means they have to get get damage. less. Right, that they get less. And I just think that's just such a, you know, kind of a short-sighted and, of course, not very, you know, intelligent, um, you know, uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's true. It's, it's sad. It's sad that, um, 
you know, that people feel that way because there really are plenty of rights for everybody. Yeah. Um, this is not an area where zero sum works. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I, you know, yeah, I just encourage people to consider the fact that, you know, they don't have to give up rights um, because someone else has rights as well. Yeah. So, okay. So um, uh, now let's see. Uh, and then she gives her great conclusion, which is great. I'm just, and I'll just throw it out there. Um, uh, because of these considerations and the history of Indiana's constitution being interpreted to provide greater protection to individual citizens than its federal counterpart, uh, there is reasonable likelihood that this significant restriction of personal autonomy offends the liberty guarantees of the Indiana constitution and the plaintiffs will prevail on the merits as to their claim that uh, SB1 violates Article 1 of the Indiana Constitution. So just kind of set, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, set up that framework. So uh, the uh, to get an injunction, there are these these, you know, for, what is it? Three part test, two part test, you know, in law school. But anyway, um, you know, you have to show um, irreparable harm that um, plaintiffs will um, suffer irreparable harm if uh, the injunction is not granted. Uh, and you have to show that you uh, can prove, or, you know, or show by preponderance that you have a reasonable likelihood of succeeding okay. on the merits. And then, you know, and then you do these other little weighing things like weighing of the harms, um, you know, to each side. And in this case, she decided that the harms were much more um, oh. significant <laughs> to the plaintiffs if the injunction were not granted than to the defendants if the injunction uh, were, uh, were granted. Um, and and she does a nice job in there too, saying, "Hey, you know, we have lived fifty years uh, yeah. under, you know, you can take law. a few more weeks, yeah, right. So I don't see the big harm, you know, yeah. in waiting. Uh, and then you have to do the little um, uh, uh, public interest um, will be deserved disserved without the injunction. Another uh, consideration, which she again does a great job of, you know, saying this is, you know, it would, uh, you know, result in a very large disservice." To the public. Um, but I do want to talk for a minute about um, the notion of the public interest in, you know, okay, so it's 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 Todd Rokita saying it's life, it's about saving babies. Oh, um, yeah. And so, and and there is, you know, in there's a little seed of, um, you know, some legitimate interest, uh, you know, that the court considers uh, the public interest in, you know, safety, public safety, which is generally, I think, the, the balancing criteria that's used in a lot of um, cases about, um, you know, uh, civil rights. Um, uh, so uh, it's your personal liberties on one end and public safety on the other end, right? So problem, when we think of like the free speech case, you know, you know, it's not protected speech to yell in a crowded theater, you know, yell fire in a, in a crowded theater, right? Because you're- yeah, Unless there's a fire. Unless it's, right, right, right. You're right. Do not lie about it. Right. Because, you know, you're weighing public safety against your, you know, your right to say whatever the heck you want to say. But here's here's where that breaks down, uh, or at least here's my take on the public safety issue. Uh, and this, again, has a lot to do with the fact that we know more about medicine than we ever did than the founders did when they were using leeches or whatever uh you know the what the what the world's worst legislature which is my appellation for ours uh refused to take into account 
was the medical testimony. You know, if if I present at a uh, at an emergency room, and a doctor determines that the pregnancy is uh, basically threatening my uh, long-term well-being or life, he or she should be able to make that decision free of a bunch of legislative uh, enactments that have been uh, passed with absolutely no understanding of the medical side of abortion care. I mean, this is not, if it was a situation where every pregnant woman was carrying a baby that would was uh, going to be born healthy and she would be healthy and there were no side effects. I've, I've been looking now there, this is, this may seem a little off the side, but it really isn't. There are women who desperately want children who are in going through IVF uh, in vitro fertilization. One of them wrote to a legislator, I don't remember whether it was in Indiana or another state with one of these draconian uh, acts, but she said the, the process requires that they throw away the embryos that are, or you know, the potential embryos actually, that are not implanted. Is that, she said, surely you're not going to consider that abortion. Oh, yes, we are. So there goes in vitro fertilization. There, I mean, the 10-year-old who was raped. I mean, there are so many. It, this is complicated. It's and our legislature is clearly unable to deal with complex issues. And we know a lot more about everything from fertilization to to birth to uh pregnancies that are uh not going i mean a baby's going to be born without a brain i mean things of that sort why is the legislature crawling up the uterus of women who need medical care i mean this anyway i it, it it's just it boggles the mind it really yeah, so does. Another, it's all political it's right, all political. right Another example is the fact that I'm not even sure now what language ended up in there as to when they consider, you know, this point, you know, what is the zero point? Is it fertilization or is it implantation? So, and it's important because if it's fertilization, well, that means that the abort, the day, the whatever morning after pill plan B, well, that's illegal because yeah. that, that you know, expels a fertilized egg um, or, you know, and, and, and um, uh, it keeps it from implanting on the, on the yeah. uterus wall. So, uh, or is it when it implants in the uterine wall? Um, so, and then in that case, of course, they, and they, they still haven't decided, well, where does um, chemical abortion or medication abortions fit into this whole scheme? So if it, I, in either of those cases, the abortion pill, I can never remember that, mephestrone and another yeah. something, um, you know, those are taken after uh, the fertilized egg is implanted in the uterine wall. Um, and so so that clearly should be outlawed. Um, oh, they, they will tell you that that is clearly considered uh, abortion and, and outlawed in Indiana. Um, yeah, there, there's no doubt about that. But so that means, though, that they have unfinished business. Because they have to stop 
people from being able to get it by mail because it is approved by the FDA and you can get those pills um, by mail. Um, well, that brings up what is really a friend of mine who was head of the of Planned Parenthood a while back, uh, Betty Cochran, you may have known her. Oh, yeah. Uh, she yeah. used to say, they're not going to outlaw abortion. They, they can outlaw legal and safe abortion. But women will. When I was a teenager, I there were girls in my high school who died from self-administered abortions. I, you know, we talk about back alley, but some of them used hangers, as you know. I mean, you know, because abortion was illegal and they weren't about to carry that fetus to term. So they ended up either becoming uh, infertile for the rest of their lives or dead. And that's what they're they're not going to get rid of abortion. They're going to get rid of safe, effective, medically appropriate abortion. Right. And their zeal to put us back out, you know, back in the kitchen. Right. And so the other um, the other um, kind of uh, way that I would like to look at it and, you know, and get your response to is, um, you know, this notion that uh, Rokita says, oh, babies will die. Uh, and so and so that means that we you know, cannot enjoin this law and, and that is the irreparable harm. Uh, and so I always like to talk about what that really means, um, that they're saying that now, you know, women or whoever, if you can get pregnant, you have some extraordinary duty to volunteer to save this other life. So if, you know, we don't require by law anybody to um, give up their, I mean, their time of day, frankly, to save another human life. We don't require people to give uh, blood donations, even though clearly that's an opportunity to save another life. Mm -hmm. We don't require people to learn CPR and administer it if somebody falls down, you know, is having a heart attack, even though clearly that is an opportunity to save a life of someone else, we don't require it. Uh, we don't require people to donate uh, organs, um, you know, um, even though clearly that would be an opportunity to save the life of someone else. Um, so explain to me why that is different than this extraordinary duty that Rokita believes exists among pregnant people. Well, first of all, the only thing Todd Rokita believes in is Todd Rokita, but uh, I mean, he is one of the most despicable people on the anyway uh but the the point is it, it what you have just described simply points out that this is to use the same term bullshit they're not worried about babies they are worried about women's equality because we don't require if if you told me I had to spend nine months hooked up to somebody uh, who had a liver problem and they were using my liver, there there would be no court in the land that would require me to do that. And you know we can argue philosophically about when human life begins. But getting to the, you know, there's another case coming up that I have really high hopes for. Uh, I'm Jewish. In the Jewish tradition, the fetus has equal moral status with the mother when the head emerges from the womb, not before. There are times in Jewish law where a woman is not only permitted, but may be required 
to abort under certain circumstances. So why is my religious tradition uh, obliterated by a law that is attempting to uh, assert the primacy of one element of Christianity. It's not even, I mean, the, the ACLU has brought a lawsuit under RIFRA, which I think is just beautiful, uh, arguing on behalf of plaintiffs who are Jewish, who are Muslim, who are Episcopalian, and a couple of other religions that I don't remember right now, that don't share this uh, belief that uh, a human is formed the minute an egg and a sperm get together. Uh, you know, so why should I have to be uh, governed by someone else's religious belief? I We've all been reading lately about the uh, uprisings in Iran under their morality police. This young woman, 22 years old, who was wearing her headscarf, her hijab, but it was too loose. And she died in the in the custody of the morality police. Well, we're probably not going to get that far. But there are clearly some people in uh, America who consider it entirely appropriate. Uh, and what I find really interesting is most of them are those small government conservatives, uh, you know, but they find it entirely appropriate to impose their religious beliefs uh, on everyone who lives in a country which ostensibly has separation of church and state. So, I mean, the, the amounts of hypocrisy that are demonstrated by this these laws is just unbelievable it is it is just shocking and i you know and so that's great i'm glad you brought up this other case this one is um you know still pending i don't know yeah. if they'll be combined and be argued together or i don't um, know yeah um and i don't i don't know that they'll also be seeking an injunction again since they already have one uh under this new case but um as you said it's under uh it's filed under rifra it's a religious rights um, case. Uh, so RIFRA, of course, Religious Freedom Restoration Act uh, passed uh, uh, under uh, Mike Pence's uh, governorship. Uh, and of course, you know, I, I don't know anybody in Indiana doesn't know about it because it was a huge, you know, huge deal. Um, and, um, and it really was um, saying that you could use your religion to uh, discriminate against people who you don't think are behaving the way you want them to behave in your religion. If you, you can know, say my religion doesn't agree with how this person is behaving, then you don't, you know, you don't have to give them services. Um, and then, of course, I mean, we have to acknowledge the recent Supreme Court ruling in Indiana um, about the the teacher um, uh, that allowed the archdiocese, a uh, Catholic church, to fire a, a man who is married to a man simply because he is married to a man, uh, which is perfectly legal uh, in, in Indiana. Um, but because that didn't align with their their belief, then they could, you know, they didn't have to honor an employment contract that was perfectly legal or a, you know, a marriage that was perfectly legal in Indiana. They could fire him anyway. You know, that case, in my view, is different. Uh, if you have a religious organization, uh, we have federally, certainly, we have long felt that a, a, a church or a church school 
has the right to hire and fire, not janitors and things of that sort, but but anybody with a uh, a religious uh, element to their job description based upon their religious beliefs. That's fine. The question is in Indiana, are you because we have vouchers, which we could do a whole thing about those. <laughs> yes, but because ninety five percent of them go to religious schools, if they are using our money, our tax dollars, tax dollars that have been uh, uh, donated, if you will, by by people who that church is discriminating against. That's a different matter. So I, I believe that that school does not take vouchers. If it does, then then I think there's a, another wrinkle legally to that uh, argument. But I'm I'm certainly willing to say, okay, if your Baptist Academy hates Jews and gay people, and of course my my usual thing is you don't like gay people, don't have them to dinner, you know. You don't really have to deprive them of their civil rights. But okay, you know, if you have a school and it discriminates uh and it's religious and that discrimination is consistent with their beliefs, fine. But if they're getting tax dollars via vouchers or anything else that's a that's a horse of a different color right so getting back to the aclu case sorry i yeah. digress but um but uh in that case do you think it's possible that the um court will require the legislature to create a you know an exemption so if uh i'm pregnant and i say well, I believe deep in my soul that uh, this fetus is not a viable, you know, it's not a human life until after it's born, after it's, you know, can live outside the womb. Um, then, then I'm entitled. I'm entitled to get the abortion. I think that would be so impractical as to, I mean, I don't, I do not think that will happen, but as, <laughs> as we were joking earlier, I mean, I think, uh, there are very few Jews, especially in Indiana. But boy, if that if they created a workout or a, an exemption, I think there'd be a lot more Jews. I mean, the problem with that is very much like uh, the people who didn't want to serve in the army. Uh, I've forgotten the terminology. Oh, conscientious objection. Yes. Uh, it was one thing if you came from a church like the Quakers that were known to be pacifists, and then the court would say, okay, well, you're excused from killing people. But if you simply had strong moral beliefs uh, that were pacifist, you had to bring a lot of extraneous uh, evidence into the court to show that you had expressed those beliefs for many years, and you're not—you weren't just being a corporal clinger, you know, trying to get out of it. So, <laughs> it, it, the the practical ramifications of carving out an exemption, I think, would just make that uh, very unlikely. Well, let's go back to RIFRA then. So, how does RIFRA work? How does you know, so uh, let's say I, you know, I don't want to bake a cake for a gay couple's wedding. Oh, so I have to just say what? I mean, what do I have to show to say that my religious beliefs preclude me from baking the cake? Well, RIFRA, at least in Indiana, has, after the huge blowback, was modified so that if you are in a part of Indiana 
that uh, basically one of the cities that has a uh, an ordinance that prohibits uh, discrimination based on orientation, you you can't do that. But if you are out in the, the boonies, and we have lots of those, uh, where there is no uh, prohibition against discrimination, discriminating against gays and lesbians, then Locally, you can right, then right. you can just do it. I mean, I always think of uh, Obama's remark because he was saying that he and Biden were so close that there are places in Indiana that wouldn't serve them pizza. Uh, <laughs> I never heard that. That's great. Oh yeah, no, I mean he. <laughs> It was funny. It was so nice to have an intelligent president. I know. All right. And I'm just going to give out a general apology for my being in the dark. It's because I have a bunch of windows and the clouds came over. I was wondering about that, but I thought, well, (laughs) perhaps I shouldn't say anything. You know, sun may come out now and then my face will look like a light bulb again. Anyway, so um, just to, you know, so, you know, the world is ending. So just, but um, so, okay. So that is great to know. That is one of the technical exceptions that I think a lot of people don't understand about, about River. Um, and so that your, your local ordinances can protect still. Yes. But in only after there was a revision to, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So let's say you're not in that area. Uh, you're in the boonies and you don't want to bake the cake. Do I have to say anything? Do I have to say I'm Christian? I mean, so just so if I say, no, I'm not baking the cake, the offended gay couple just has no cause of action. They've got no basis for a um, a discrimination suit. That is my understanding. But, you know, you you raise another issue that uh, we used to explore in my classes, which, okay, uh, you come in to my bakery, which would be really stupid because I'm a terrible baker. But uh, you come in and you say, I want this wedding cake. And my religion says, oh, no, I don't. Why can't I just, you know, I'd love to help you, but I'm really busy right now. You know, the, the, the thing that really annoys me about these cases is these are uh, these are opportunities for people to parade their particular religious beliefs and to pick on people who are generally unable to to defend themselves. You know, you don't have to say why you sinful whatever's you can just say I don't have I don't have the time right now or my oven is going to be serviced <laughs> for the next you can you know you don't have to be an asshole about it. Uh, I'm I'm sorry. Right. But, no, no I get you. Yeah. I yeah. mean it is it is when people are in your face like that mm-hmm. it is their intent to create a uh, an incident and to sort of piss on you, right? And, and create and a division. It's really yeah. unfortunate. These yeah. are these are not the kind of people who make me think, boy, I'd like to go to his church. <laughs> right. Okay. So just to kind of um, wrap up that little piece. So if um, you know if the ACLU uh, prevails at some level on the mm-hmm. RIFRA claim saying, you know, that, you know, this is a violation of RIFRA uh, and that uh, you can't, and you know, you can't enforce this law because, you know, there are people, you know, who will don't believe that that human life begins when Christian uh, evangelists or Todd Rokita says, um, and they are being, you know, they're being denied their RIFRA rights. Um, so, and so it sounds like you're saying 
uh, I mean, if there is an exception carved out, which, you know, who knows, um, then uh, we're still not sure what you would have to say to qualify. Um, uh, but possibly, probably you'd have to be a member of an organized church who has, you know, historically held that position. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. I mean, I could, I could become Jewish. I mean, I could do that. I mean, we're, we're nice people. You, I mean, you are nice people. You are very nice. People. I know a lot of great Jewish people. So anyway, all right, great. And some okay. of my best friends are Christian. I mean, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, no need for all the division, right? No. So, um, so we don't know when that one's going to come up, but uh, this is very exciting. And so just to kind of also give a little bit of basic framework to, um, you know, there was the law, it was passed, signed by the governor, it was enacted. Uh, the ACLU filed the, um, the, uh, the, the um, violation of the, the section one of the article one of the state constitution as to life, liberty, uh, pursuit of happiness. Um, and um, and it wasn't initially granted. So it's a little confusing for people um, because it wasn't initially granted, but um, was only granted after oral arguments. So that's why there was this delay. Like it wasn't granted, then it is. So, and now of course it is still just temporary. Uh, it is a pending, you know, a full trial on these uh, questions of law, uh, you know, basically, I guess. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that's what we're waiting for now. And I have no idea when that's gonna happen. Um, but um, but it is temporary. And so I like to remind people that this is not, um, you know, a resolution to oh, this no. problem. And I believe that uh, Rokita said he was going to appeal the grant of the uh, injunction to the Court of Appeals. And so, you know, yeah. who knows? Yeah, in the Supreme Court. And he ought to just say, I'm just going to appeal to God. You know, I think yeah. sometimes he should just say that because I think that's what he, you know, he thinks he knows God or something. So anyway, yesterday, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So um so it may not even get to that, you know, uh trial on the merits um before the injunction is thrown yeah. out and we're back to the ban. So um so this is very temporary and but and it's very confusing. And so I really appreciate your help, you know, <laughs> trying to make sure that we can make this understandable. Um, because uh as you know, this is a critical moment um for this issue in, in Indiana and for people to take um, what I like to call the obvious solution, um, which is to um, vote Move. for and elect pro-choice candidates to the state okay. legislature. Um, that is really all we need to do. Um, so, uh, and, 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 but we need people to get out. Um, you know, like um, our good friend, Destiny Noels likes to say, Indiana oh. is not a red state. It is a purple state with a voter turnout problem. And that voter turnout problem, if I can sort of bring in another issue, is a result primarily of gerrymandering because the uh, the legislature has managed to draw districts that are perceived to be safe. A lot of people don't bother to vote. And what what is interesting to me is when, when they are drawing those districts, the only data they have to go on is prior turnout. Now, if everybody in there's some of those some of those districts are indeed safe. Indianapolis is now blue. I mean, you know, it's, but the uh, in many, many of those districts, if everybody in that district turned out to vote, it wouldn't be safe because the data that they used to create that district 
was based on the the turnout problem that Destiny, Destiny Waltz talks about. So, uh, yes, we have, you know, anybody who's in business, anybody who is in education needs to turn out and vote blue because, you know, let me just take a little detour here. I have a very brilliant granddaughter who was looking at good schools when Texas uh, passed their ridiculous uh, anti-choice bill, she marked Rice off of her list. There are bright girls all over this country who are not coming to Indiana to college because of this law. There are businesses that are not going to be able to uh, get people to work there to bring in, you know, people who who don't live here already because of this law. I mean, Lily came out after this passed and said, this is going to make it very difficult for us to bring in workers. I mean, this, this law is stupid on so many levels. Right. Yeah. But yeah, yeah the but stage right. If, just we, if people turn out, we, you know, this state went for Obama. Yep, remember, right. it, it can happen. It absolutely can. And I just, you know, want to note too. I'm sure you may have seen it. A Salesforce, um, you know, yes. 2,300 employees in Indiana uh, said the same thing. They said, "Yeah, we are really not going to consider investing in Indiana um, yeah. under uh, this kind of a restriction of civil liberties." So, um, so yeah, it is. I mean, you know, they didn't all come out maybe when they could have. Uh, earlier, uh, like they did when Rifra was out there, um, but um, but they, I think they're really, like you know, I mean, it, it all happened so fast, and I think that people are really starting to now see. I mean, we've been under a whole different set of rules for fifty years, and you know that shift is really taking a minute to understand, um, and and the implications are just endless. I mean, you know, the fact well, that women, you know, will not have as as great of access to higher education or even high school. You know, girls will drop out of high school. Uh, you know, what's the point if, you know, if they have unwanted pregnancies? And that, you know, I mean, I, I talked to a woman who um, was older and she's a retired nun and she worked in social services. And, and she said, you know, I've been to houses where there are unwanted children. And yeah. I don't ever want to see one of those again. Um, that's, you know, just all those permutations you know, that you just many years about. ago there were a couple of economists uh issued a book called freakonomics yeah. you may have heard of it yes and one of the things that their their studies had found is that 20 years after roe crime went down right. because there were so many fewer unwanted children who were then raised in abusive uh or deprived circumstances uh yeah this is Right. This is not the sort of uh, environment. We're not creating the sort of environment that is that allows for human flourishing. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, everyone needs to read Jimmy Carter's book, too, about the impact of women's second class citizenship on third world countries and yeah. what keeps them third world countries. So. All right. So. OK. So um, I always like to make this pitch. If you need to check your voter registration, if you need to register, um, if you need to find out where to vote or when to vote, and to find out who's on your ballot, you can do all of that by going to indianavoters.com. 
so I and I like to encourage people to just write down your voting plan. Um, uh, research shows that it's much more likely to happen if the plan is written down. Uh, again, when will you vote? Where will you vote? How will you get there? Do you need an absentee ballot? You can do that at the same place. You can request an absentee ballot at the same place. Um, and who will you vote for? So all of, all of that is at this one website and you can accomplish all of the answers to those questions um, by visiting that site um, and getting out there and voting. I mean, there's, there's ample opportunity, but you know, just make sure you have a plan. It's, it's easy to slip by. So, all right, well, thank you so much, Sheila. You're welcome. Also, always just a delight to, you know, thank to you. talk with you. And, um, and well, I let's, know let's hope that the uh, su subsequent courts uh, are as good as the, the judge was who issued this particular opinion. Yeah, and I'm gonna just kick myself all day for not remembering that name, I feel awful. Um, <laughs> but she's awesome and she's Owen County uh, yeah. judge, that helps, all right. Anyway, so yes, let's be hopeful in that way. And um, and there is hope and I, and I, I really, um, I remember being in law school and my constitutional uh, law professors making that point that we should be looking to our state constitution um, for civil rights um, you know, protections. Uh, more than the U.S. Constitution. So, uh, so here it is. It's happening, and we can do it. So, all right. Well, thank you so much, Sheila. It's great, great, great to see you. You look wonderful. Thank and, you. Um, and thank you for keeping uh, keeping up with your great blog. Um, you know, I read it all the time. It's always wonderful. Uh, thank you. Encourage people to read it. So, where do people do go to encourage them? <laughs> where okay. Where do people go to find that blog? Just www.sheilakennedy.net. Excellent. Okay. I, you know, it just comes to me, so I don't even know anymore. So, okay, great. All right. Well, thank you again. And um, you. we'll be back when, you know, when there's another important constitutional uh, case to talk about.